Welcome to the Creative Pen Podcast. I'm Joanna Penn, thriller author and creative entrepreneur, bringing you interviews, inspiration and information on writing, publishing options and marketing ideas for your book. You can find the episode show notes, your free author blueprint and lots more information at thecreativepen.com and that's pen with a double N. And here's the show. Hello creatives, I'm Joanna Penn and this is episode number 479 of the podcast and it is Friday 6th of March 2020 as I record this. So today I have an interview with Jay Thorne and Zach Bohannon about how they have navigated the first few years of being full-time author entrepreneurs. They have a new book out, The Three Story Method, but we also discuss co-writing, how their business plans have changed to a model that incorporates in-person events, how to create repeatable systems for writing and lessons learned along the way. Towards the end, I mention something about the end of scale, which is something I've been thinking about a lot as uh, more and more people (laughs) write and we move into a longer and longer long tail. Uh, so yeah, these are we talk about lots of things. I mean, we've been friends for a number of years now, so uh, it's interesting to talk to Jay and Zach. And we talk about doubling down on being human in an age of AI. So that is coming up in the interview. In publishing news this week, well, interesting times. (laughs) As uh, this goes out, I will be speaking at the self-publishing formula live event, uh, which will be fun. And I'll be talking on multiple streams of income. That is happening going ahead. But London Book Fair got cancelled, kind of as expected, as along with lots of other large events around the world as coronavirus continues to develop. Certainly interesting times indeed as the first airline folded this week in the UK. Um, It was already struggling and I think we're going to see with some economic fallout from this, especially with the travel industry which and airlines which exist on tiny margins with lots of businesses cancelling trips and lots of people rethinking their holidays. It is certainly the beginning of a disruption, a disruption that certainly the financial industry has been expecting for a while. We've had like a decade... (laughs) decade bull run. So uh, yeah, I mean, I'm I certainly, I'm sure many of you are following the news as I certainly am and uh, rethinking certain things. But, uh, you know, we're writers, we deal with stress through writing. And I was at the cafe this morning, <laughs> just making up bad guys and then killing them off, which is always quite cathartic. But I also think this is interesting because it will accelerate the development of more online networking tools, education tools, probably an investment in VR conferencing, which I've been reading about. I've mentioned The Future is Faster Than You Think by Peter Diamandis. And I mention it again in in this interview, I think, (laughs) if I remember rightly. But that book, uh, which is only just out last month, talks about uh, some of the really incredible stuff that's available in virtual reality for those who can have access to the technology, which is not mainstream as yet, really. But it will be interesting to see if this sort of double whammy of coronavirus plus the climate change discussions uh, mean more virtual reality conferencing for businesses, as well as more AI and robotics in manufacturing and other areas because they don't get sick. So it's going to be very interesting to see if this you know, is just a short term shift and a short term bump or will 
be the start of an uh, of a change in the way we do business. Uh, certainly, I have done speaking through Skype across the world, so it will be interesting as to whether that transition starts to happen as well. It may also mean we have these smaller group events like Jay and Zach talk about rather than these huge, you know, 20,000 people, 100,000 people coming into the same place. So yeah, interesting times. And um, my futurist head is always thinking about how it will impact us and how it will impact our writing lives. Um, For now, (laughs) quarantine doesn't look so bad. (laughs) Uh, Just to be clear, I'm not in quarantine. I am going to London on Monday. But um, yeah, let's uh, stay focused. Okay, back into publishing industry. Uh, Very interesting announcement. The publishing industry might be consolidating even further following the reunification of Viacom and CBS. Simon & Schuster's chief Carolyn Reedy tells the staff in a memo that its parent company will be exploring potential sales of the Big Five publishing house. Yes, Simon & Schuster up for sale uh, as reported on Publishing Perspectives this week. Link in the show notes as ever. Now, it's very interesting to listen to the language that... (laughs) <laughs> that the executive used. Um, and this is not Carolyn Reedy. This is the Viacom CBS executive. I didn't write down his name, but it said, quote, Simon and Schuster is not a core asset. It is not video based. <laughs> it does not have significant connection for our broader business. I, I read that and I was like, oh my goodness, it is not a core asset. It is not video based. And to be honest, the sales of the books there are a very tiny percentage of their P&L. But it's interesting because they've said we have had multiple unsolicited inbound calls about that asset. So it is an asset, obviously, and an asset of a business for for a publishing business is mostly made up of intellectual property assets, uh, which are authors' book contracts, essentially. So this will be an interesting one to watch and see where it goes. So today I'm doing a bit more of a futurist segment because I have been hoarding a few things up and there was an announcement that was meant to come up for a London Book Fair, which of course didn't go ahead. <laughs> but basically, we're going to start with audio. Um, Deep Zen, who I talked about in my AI disruption episode uh, number 437, have now released the first AI narrated audiobooks. Their press release on the 2nd of March 2020 says uh, Deep Zen produces and co-publishes audiobooks and other voice content using artificial intelligence that replicates the human voice to create a listening experience that is virtually indistinguishable from traditionally narrated audio. Deep Zen work with Findaway and Uh, They are the first to gain broad acceptance and distribution from major resellers, including Apple Books, Google Play, Rakuten Kobo and subscription services, Scribd, Nextstory and Storytel. They will be on Overdrive, Bibliotheca, Baker and Taylor. So they will be in library distribution systems. The big one missing from that is, of course, Audible and ACX. Certainly the terms of service that uh, I work with have said no Um, well, only human narration at the moment. Now, I would expect that to change. And in fact, I would expect Audible to be, they're probably doing this right now, but probably developing the capability themselves to do this, or someone's going to buy Deep Zen (laughs) in the same way that Lyrebird got bought by Descript. 
that is what tends to happen with these tech companies. That is just my opinion, of course. There is no word that this might happen, but I would see uh, if they really do have this technology. And I've listened to a couple of samples and I think it's pretty good. I mean, to be honest, I've listened to a couple of audiobooks recently. I think you know, it's possibly because I listen at 1.5, sometimes 1.75 speed at the moment. I'm rapidly moving up. But sometimes people already sound like robots. <laughs> so I'm not sure that it's going to make that much difference. But the samples, if you go to, um, I think it's deepzen.io, but just search Deep Zen Audio or go to the show notes, um, you can listen to some examples. And to me, they sound perfectly human-like. Uh, so that is interesting. The press release also says uh, American and British English voices have already been mapped with plan to move on to European languages, including Spanish, French and German. The company is developing partnerships with narrators with the aim of creating a voice library with multiple voice types, accents and languages for publishers and authors to select from. The future for audiobooks looks set to change dramatically for the best with the creation of this new digital technology. Yes, sorry, it is deepzen.io. They're saying, yeah, and also they're saying audiobooks are a major focus. They're the fastest growing sector within the publishing industry, yet only a small percentage of books are converted to this format. Totally agree with this. And uh, reflecting as per the discussion last week with Michelle Cobb, it really is you know, there's a lot more books in the English language than there are in translation for audio. So this is an interesting time. Again, I didn't expect it to happen this fast, but it is. Also this week, Descript, uh, which I use and have shared with you samples of my AI generated voice. Descript has released a new edition of their tool, Overdub, which allows editing of intonation within the app. And I'm playing with this at the moment because, and it's really good. So essentially, the, when you're listening to an AI generated sample, and some of you have heard my voice and uh, you can actually, you know, I've put, put it all on the website at thecreativepen.com forward slash voice double, thecreativepen.com forward slash voice double. Uh, you can listen to some examples of me and it, you can hear that it's me well, my voice, but there are some intonation issues. Now, what Descript have done is release a tool where you can edit a word into a new intonation. And that is great because what I see the issue being is that if you convert a whole book into an AI voice, then maybe there's, let's say there are six issues per chapter where intonation is a problem, then you can just edit those issues into, um, you know, with a manual update and that is going to fix the book. This is again potentially game changing. So these are the companies to watch and I'm quite pleased because these are the companies I mentioned back in July uh, 2019 as the, the ones that I thought were very, very interesting. So that is happening. Another uh, interesting development and this happened a couple of weeks ago but I was saving it for a bulk update on futurist stuff. <laughs> on AI translation, DeepL have released a new version uh, in their press release, a completely new translation system that represents a quantum leap in translation quality. The neural networks we use are far superior to previous technologies. You can now test them and use them free of charge at deepl.com. So, of course, as ever, I jump in too early. I literally jumped in six months too early <laughs> with my use of DeepL. But um, if you are bilingual, 
uh, I would urge you to test this out. Just go to the deep, to deepl.com, D-E-E-P-L.com and check out their translation. I would love to know what you think. Uh, email me joanna at thecreativepen.com or tweet me at thecreativepen and uh, let me know what you think or leave some comments on this episode. I am not bilingual, so I cannot test this out, but this is certainly something that um, is going to accelerate the use of translation for indie authors and, you know, people in general. But I suspect we are moving into an accelerated phase of translation. Also wanted to mention uh, the audiobook I'm listening to at the moment, A World Without Work by Daniel Suskind, which is related to this futurist segment. Um, it is full of, I'm having loads of aha moments. It's I, Obviously, I've been embedded in this space now for a couple of years, but it is really very well structured considering <laughs> Daniel is an academic and sometimes these books are a bit dense. But his this is a great book, very accessible and uh, essentially one big aha moment, which is machines don't have to behave like humans to outperform them. I'll say that again because it's so big. Machines don't have to behave like humans to outperform them. And when, I, when I've talked about AI writing and AI creation, people have emailed me and they said, oh, but machines will never be like humans. They'll never experience grief, for example, so they can't possibly write about grief. But that is assuming that machines will have to have human experiences to do what humans do. And what this book basically says is, that's not how it works. (laughs) You know, in order to write about grief in an effective way, if you read into the deep learning model all the writing that there has ever been on grief, it is very likely that the machine would be able to write about grief because we pour into it all of our writing about grief. And to be fair, I mean, grief is one of those things that is hard for a human to write about. And I'm sure you're like me. If you want to write about something, you research, you read other books, you look at the words that other people use, and you you get ideas from other things. As Cormac McCarthy said, books are made out of books. And why is that not as true for a machine as for a human brain? Uh, That's how I learn. I read and read and read and read and then I mush it all up in my head and something else comes out. That model is you know, potentially as true for a machine. So this book is really challenging me. um, And it has huge ramifications. Now I'm, I'm still listening to the book. I'm very, very interested in it. Um, But the one thing that's also interesting, so if you're a fiction writer, (laughs) and if circling back to the discussion with um, Rebecca uh, about contracts, Rebecca Giblin about contracts a few weeks ago, basically saying that there's less and less money in fiction writing uh, in traditional publishing. Well, essentially, many fiction writers write for free or barely anything at all, like a promise of a, with zero advance and a promise of uh, a share of revenue, for example, of profits. So it might not be necessary to outsource writing to an AI (laughs) for fiction or say academia, where often people uh, will write for journals without being paid. Whereas the reason AI writing is being developed for journalism and for nonfiction freelance and for company 
websites and things is because they have to pay people to do that work. And also screenwriting, the re, you know, I mentioned a screenwriting tool a couple of weeks ago um, where they've said within five years there will be, you know, screenplays written by the AIs. Now, sc- screenwriting has unions and protects writers that way. And, you know, I see that some of the companies who own this space potentially would like to stop with the problems they might have. So, I think this is a very important book, A World Without Work by Daniel Suskind. Uh, I I highly recommend that. I'm listening to the audiobook, which is read by Daniel um, and enjoying it very much. So my personal update, uh, I'm a writer while writing is still possible, (laughs) Uh, of course. And uh, what I should say, I guess, about that futurist stuff is I'm not commenting on an ethical side of things and, you know, legal, moral, all of these issues are to be framed over the coming years. But I think it's important for us to engage with them because if we're not engaged with them, we will wake up one day to find ourselves disintermediated, as many publishers have done and many authors have done, while not adapting to the way the digital world has changed in the last decade. So as ever, I am trying to protect us for the future. Okay. Oh, and I should say um, the the intellectual property, the World Intellectual Property Organization that we have submitted a um, paper to, uh, we'll be talking about that. I'll be talking about that once the Alliance of Independent Authors releases it uh, on their site. Uh, okay. So yes, uh, audio for authors is now live, which I'm excited about. The ebook, paperback, large print, and hardback is all available everywhere. Um, the audio book is pretty much available everywhere except Audible, which is kind of annoying. But you can get it on Google Play Audio, you can get it on iTunes, Kobo Audio, Scribd Audio, also Authors Direct if you want to buy it direct. Um, But there are delays with ACX and Audible, so it's not on Audible yet. Hopefully we'll be there in the next week or so. But if you go to books2read.com, but and the number two in the middle, books2read.com forward slash audio for authors. You can find all the links to all the usual stores or check your favourite store and it should be there. You can even get the book for free if you ask your local library to add it to the catalogue. And that goes to ebook for ebooks, audiobooks and print editions as I am wide with everything on this book. Uh, so yes, get it for free at your local library and uh, or your favourite bookstore. I hope you'll find it useful. I'm really glad to have this book in the world. And uh, yeah, I I predict in, let's say three years, 2023, I would do a second edition because things will have changed so much. But certainly the uh, chapter on voice technologies is current as uh, I put it out. I'm also still writing the first draft of Map of the Impossible. I was at the cafe this morning, very happy to be into that and uh, writing some good scenes. I was well into it this morning. Uh, I did get up and think, oh, I've got a book going live today. Maybe I shouldn't go write. And then I was like, no, there's, it's always about the next book. <laughs> so I went down and wrote uh, quite a cool scene. So happy about that. Uh, also prepping, I've been prepping this week for the live uh, self-publishing show events and um, I'll be speaking on multiple streams of income and I will have a mini course which I'll base on that material. I'll flesh it out into something more substantial and that will be out in the next few weeks. 
So thanks for all your emails and tweets and comments this week. Uh, Ronnie says, listening at my sewing machine, sent a lovely picture of a quilt there. Uh, Joe Lobato says, thanks for being honest about self-doubt. To hear someone of your success talk so openly about it is hugely inspiring. Glad to help. (laughs) Glad my self-doubt helps. And as I said last week, I think that's just so important. And as I said, I had a great morning this morning. So it's the roller coaster of the creative life. (laughs) Uh, Bernie Anderson says, don't assume you are the market. Great advice from the podcast while wandering down streets of downtown Yangon, Myanmar, a literary centre in Southeast Asia. Who, who knew? And sent a little vis- video from Myanmar. Thank you, Bernie. Uh, oh, Jacqueline Rowe sent a great picture. She said, kids and husband are off to school. It's time for some cleaning while I listen and learn more about the author business. I find this vital to my growth as an author and my kitchen appreciates it too. And um, Jacqueline sent a brilliant picture of the dishwasher and the sideboard. And it was just totally real. I totally get that real life. So kudos for (laughs) sending me that picture. And to be fair, most of us, like I listen while I'm cooking and cleaning and walking along and stuff. So that's, that's very cool. Thresher Thresher Sketch on YouTube said, what an excellent choice for a podcast interview topic. I recently rediscovered audiobooks, which I used to listen to a lot in my childhood. And in fact, I, and mentions Audible gives you a discount on the audiobook if you own it on Kindle. Indeed, Thresher Sketch. And in fact, I put a whole section on that in my book, Audio for Authors, because it is a great way for people to get audiobooks Um And also they say, I'm a digital artist and like to listen while working on art. Brilliant. And thanks to everyone leaving comments on YouTube as well as on the website or also tweeting me. And finally, uh, Paul Teague says, I'm setting off for work listening to The Creative Pen for the last Monday today. On Wednesday, my job description will become author. So, um, Congratulations to Paul. Paul also has a great podcast on self-publishing as well. So yeah, Paul Teague, welcome to the full-time author life. (laughs) Right, so today's show is sponsored by Readsy, the marketplace for vetted freelance professionals to help you become a career author or even just help with your first book. They have cover designers, lots of different editors, even translators if you do your deep L um, and then you need some help with editing your translation. They have translators now. They also have website design, ghostwriters, marketing help and training courses for everything you need as a writer. Self-publishing is the wrong word because we don't do it alone. We need the right professionals to help us produce a great book. Now, I love Reezy because they make it much easier to find the right people to help and you can build your team that way. Check them out at thecreativepen.com forward slash Reedsy, R-E-E-D-S-Y, thecreativepen.com forward slash Reedsy. So this type of corporate sponsorship pays for the hosting, transcription and editing. But my time in creating the show is sponsored by my wonderful patrons. Thanks to everyone who has supported the show for so long. And also thanks to new patrons, Paul or Coin. I reckon that's how you say it. <laughs> Sorry, Paul, if I got that wrong. Uh, Darren Maxwell, Marty Knox and Diana Davin. I really do appreciate your support on Patreon. Like the tweets and emails and comments, it demonstrates you enjoy the show and want it to continue. 
So you can support the show on Patreon for just a couple of dollars a month and you'll get the backlist audio, the monthly Q&A. So lots more audio fun. Uh, You can support the show at patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash the creative pen. Let's get into the interview. Jay Thorne and Zach Bohannon co-write post-apocalyptic and dystopian sci-fi novels under Molten Universe Media, as well as separately writing horror and dark fantasy. They also run The Career Author together with a weekly podcast and events like Authors on a Train, Rockapock and The Career Author Summit. Their latest non-fiction book is The Three-Story Method. Welcome, Jay and Zach. Hey, hey how, how you doing, Joanna? <laughs> uh, now I'm being totally controlling over the three-way interview, uh, everyone listening. So we'll see how we go. But Zach, I'm going to start with you because I've had Jay on several times talking about co-writing over the years. So tell us how you and Jay connected, why you decided to co-write together and how that has evolved. I was a fan. I was a huge fan of Jay Thorne. Um, no, all seriousness, I uh, when I first started like realizing you could make a career out of being an author. And there was this whole new path with being independent and stuff. Uh, one of the first things I did was like, well, I'm going to go look up some podcasts about it. And I knew I wanted to write horror. So I went on app on uh, the podcast app and I was like, I wrote in horror writing and this web, this podcast came up called the horror writers podcast. And which of course Jay did at the time. And I started listening. I actually bought some of his books and read them. And then I did the one thing that no author should ever do, which is uh, I sent him my first draft and said, hey, will you read this? Um, it's a good job he's some, a nice guy. <laughs> yeah. And for I don't some know why reason, I did it. Yeah, for some reason, he actually read it. And he tells me to this day he actually read it. Um, and, I did. And uh, <laughs> gave me some feedback. And, uh, but, and we just kind of started communicating from there. Like I said, I continue to be a uh, fan of the podcast. Eventually he and I revived that podcast together. Um, because we just realized we had a ton in common. You know, we liked a lot of the same music. We read the same stuff. We're just, uh, very, very, very much in sync with each other as far as what we're into. And, um, but it was, uh, it was, I don't know what, like uh, over a year before we actually like even really got in the discussion of writing something together. Um, you had so many other co-writing projects going on. <laughs> um, but, uh, and then, yeah, we, we kind of finally just started to write stuff together and just realized, man, this is like a really good partnership and it's evolved to what it is now with all the stuff you just mentioned. So, mm. well then Jay, I want to ask you, cause of course you and I have co-written, uh, one, well, two books, just you and I, and then obviously sacrifice with Zach as well and Lindsay. Um, but I know that there are things that fail with partners and things where you get kind of red lights or green lights <laughs> and you could, you're just such a great collaborator. What made you take a chance on Zach? So if people listening want to co-write or collaborate with other people, People. like what are the things that make you go yes this might be worth taking a chance on ah uh, well thank you for the compliment uh you know it's it's something that zach and i talk about when when we discuss the collaboration at events or conferences and one of the things that's overlooked so much is having your alignment of life goals or aspirations and where you are in life stage so for example you know zach and i are both like you know, heavy metal guys that were in bands and we, and we like some of the same music and we wear the same color black t-shirts and all that kind of stuff. But, but we were also, even though there's a, a slight, very, very slight age difference, 
we we have um, a lot of the same values. We both are family men. We are sort of down to earth, regular Joes. Like we, you know, we have a mortgage and we have car payments and bills and and what we want out of this creative life is very similar. And I think that is an alignment that a lot of authors miss when they look at collaboration. They're thinking more about the the parts of the puzzle in the process. You know, am I a good revisor? And if so, do I need a good first drafter? Or am I a really savvy marketer and I need someone who's really good with craft? Like those are all important too. But having that alignment in what you want out of life and what you want out of this uh, project is just as important. Mm. Although I have been listening to your podcast, The Career Author, and you guys did a uh, review of 2019, which I listened to. And it seems like 2019, you actually both came up with different things that you wanted. So I wanted to ask about that because I think this is the reality of working together and separately is yes, you may want the same thing some of the time, but other times you want different things. So uh, Zach, uh, with you, what happened for you in 2019 and and, uh, what has changed? Yeah, it's funny. I I just, I think for me, I just, you know, we have not, not every co-writing or collaborative situation is going to be like ours. I would say that most aren't going to be, uh, be in, in business as, as on main levels as we are. And, um, you know, I think for me, I've just kind of come to a place, especially on the fiction side. Like I love everything that we're doing with our podcast and with our nonfiction and with our events and everything. But I don't know, like for me, I've kind of come to a place where it's like, I want to write some fiction on my own for a little bit. Because it's, I'm a very much a one project at a time person, whereas Jay can juggle like, he could write probably 10 books at one time and have no problem. That's very hard for me. So I was in a position where I kept having to push my own stuff back that I've been really wanting to do. Um, And just to be honest, and I've told him this, like without having to like hear another person's opinion on if the ideas we should roll with or not, like I want to just be able to put my ideas into a book and not have anyone else to bounce them off of. And I kept having to push that back and it really was starting to kind of hinder me creatively. Um, and so we had a, we just had the conversation that we're going to put the fiction side of co-writing and we're still working on stuff. We have a book that we're going to put out and stuff in a series we're going to work on, but that's going to take a little bit of a back burner for a while so that, um, you know, I can do this. Jay is pursuing some different things in fiction, which, you know, he's been talking about publicly, um, you know, kind of pursuing a traditional path. Um, so we're just kind of like, like not, not making our, the co-writing part of our business, uh, as, uh, the top priority as far as our, our fiction goes right now. Mm. And it's really working out pretty well for both of us, I think right now. So. Yeah, I think that's really important because nothing stays the same. Everything changes and, you know, things come and go. I mean, you even mentioned the horror writers podcast that doesn't even happen anymore. Right. No, yeah, yeah, that that disappeared a while back. Yeah. yeah, so that's what I love. I mean, I think you guys are pretty fluid with the the understanding. But Jay, coming back to you, one of the things you guys are doing is this new nonfiction book, The Three Story Method. So why this book on story now and, and give us a bit of an overview? Yeah, I just now feel like I'm to the point where I have enough experience uh, to put something like this together. And And really what had happened was, Zach and I, out of necessity, had to develop a methodology for co-writing multiple stories. When you do a one-off collaboration, you don't need to put a ton of time into a system or a process because you just need to survive. Like you just need to cross the finish line once. 
But if it's something you want to do over and over again, you have to build a system around it. And, and Joanna, you know that from all of your business ventures too, that, that systems are the way that you sustain long-term either growth or productivity. And after, uh, after going through StoryGrid certification and spending 10 years as an indie, and, and I'm, a, I'm a bookworm. I've always been a bookworm. I've read just about every book on craft that you could possibly imagine from you know, Joseph uh, Campbell to Kim Hudson's Virgin's Promise and everything in, in between. And as Zach and I moved through our process, we realized that we were uh, leaning heavily on a lot of Aristotle's ideas about storytelling, which even Aristotle at the time didn't invent. He just sort of labeled these things that are intuitive to us. And so I think we got to a point where we were like, okay, let's codify this. Let's pull the best of all these different methodologies and let's focus on the planning of the book. So three-story method is not necessarily a tool for revision. It's really for trying to be as fit, efficient as possible with your with your project up front so that you don't waste a lot of time. And and the other big thing about three-story method uh, that we firmly believe is that story isn't that complicated. And as writers, we like to overcomplicate stuff and make things more confusing than they have to be. So the whole title, three-story method, uh, a kindergartner can tell you that a story is a beginning and a middle and an end. And I think if that is, if, if you keep that element and that's your takeaway, then you're going to be in a much better place to tell compelling stories. Mm. And Zach, how have you guys used the three-story method um, to work together, but also to help the writers at your events? Yeah, I mean, it's it's funny. The, the three-story method, I mean, it really, as Jay just kind of mentioned, I mean, this has really evolved and this is something we've been iterating on forever. And it wasn't until, you know, not that long ago that we were like, man, we really need to you know, turn this into something. And a lot of that came out of the events because, you know, we were, we were teaching people how we work together and how we, uh, you know, plan our books and we're on the same page and, you know, we don't waste a lot of, we, we, we produce pretty clean drafts because of how much pre-production we do and because of the way we do it. And we just really saw how people were in our different events were taking onto it. And, uh, and you know, I was in, we were in a hotel room in new Orleans, ironically. And I told Jay, I was like, man, we really need to like really think about this and, and, and really put this system down on paper and, um, d- develop it out a little more. And, you know, we could, this could be a book and we could really teach more people than just people coming to our events. And, uh, and it's, we've really seen, especially, you know, in the most recent event we did with authors on a train. I mean, the, the biggest thing we hear is just that, it just simplifies everything and it, it makes everything so simple. And especially when you're working from like, we're putting these anthologies together and we're working with all these people. Like it really gives us a really good tip. It gives everyone a really good baseline and template to work off of. Um, so it, it kind of puts everyone on the same page and, and, uh, and it helps us on the back end too. When we're, when we're doing all the revisions for these anthologies and stuff, cause everyone's kind of working from the same place, if that makes sense. Um, but we, we just keep hearing just how simple and how good this process is. And it's just, it, it is, we're already seeing the books not even out. We're already seeing how it's helping people that we've taught it to. Mm. So, Wait, yeah. tell, tell us about this book that's coming out and what event that came out of. Um, well that, that was our, uh, so that was authors on a train and, and they're just like with all our, our events like that, that we do, we have anthologies that come out. Um, so every, everyone who was at that event, we're all going to work on short stories and put it, put an anthology out, uh, together. 
Um, so that's, that's kind of what I was talking about when I'm saying we use three story method to, to, for everyone to write those stories. Yeah. I'll, I'll clarify, I'll clarify what we've been doing, uh, over the past, I don't know, four to five events that we've run is we have a three story method worksheet that you can get in the book. And we've been, instead of trying to like teach people this methodology, um, we said, okay, here's the worksheet. Let's work through this together. Use this as your planning document. And we keep, we keep improving it. Every time we do it, we improve it. So we've tried and, and we've tested with dozens and dozens of people and everyone comes yeah, they, everyone comes back and says it's so accessible. Uh, you know, it makes story, it makes identifying storytelling easy, even though it takes a lifetime to master. And so, that's the process that Three Story Method has come out of, and that that we used to build this worksheet. It, it's just it was just a word document. We just kept improving it every time based on feedback. I love that because do you remember the problems we had trying to write one story? Yeah. <laughs> the four of us together in New Orleans. I mean, it was, I would say it's one of the hardest things that I have done creatively. Yeah, you got to edit it. So <laughs> yeah, that's because I'm a control freak. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, if I edit it, at least I have some control over this process. But it, but I totally get it because one of the most frustrating things that I have found, you know, and I have done very little co-writing, although I've done some with my mum since I worked with you guys, which was right. seriously hard work. <laughs> but having um having a, a plan like that, and like you say, it's not it's not very it's not rigid like a spreadsheet or something. It's you know, it's it's but enough to guide people. Also, you've got a shorter amount of time, haven't you, with the events. It's not like people have three years to work on it. No, and we've also scaled down the process at these events so that people are are testing this out on a short story. So it doesn't require a huge commitment in learning or resources or or time. It's like, okay, if you're going to write a three or four or 5,000 word short story, everyone is pretty pretty willing to give it a chance because, you know, it's a a short, small scale project. Mm. No, that's good. So Jay, I also uh, listened to, well, I've been listening to a few of your podcasts, obviously. I listen to the writers well. I can never remember which one you say stuff on. <laughs> but um, <laughs> you have been talking, I think it was with Rachel and Zach. That's why it's confusing. It was when the three of you were in California and um, talking about the importance of community. And of course, you've just mentioned there, you've been doing what, five, six events in the last couple of years. So why, I know you're you're both introverts. We're all introverts here. What is this thing with live events and you know what is important about that oh I, I'm assuming you're talking to me because I think I'm more of an introvert than Zach yeah, I was gonna say my <laughs> role in them is because I'm way more extroverted than him so I'm the one who I'm the one who will like hang out with our attendees till midnight playing video games while he goes to bed so okay then it's for Jay <laughs> yeah it's a, it's a really legitimate question and I think this is something uh, I, I'm a I'm a big believer in experiencing life. I, I think we often get too caught up in the in reading books and taking courses and not doing things. And and so I had to force myself pretty early on after after the four of us did the the original authors on a train. Zach and I decided to host events and take other people. And knowing my introverted tendencies and what a challenge that was going to be. And and I have to say over the over the few years we've been doing it as social media becomes more of a, well, let's say a political cesspool as we approach another election year here in the States, I think there's been a pushback on just sort of online living and and a digital life. And people are craving more authentic, real experiences. And because Zach and I really love putting on these small scale workshop, intimate type events, um, 
we're well suited to 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 satisfy that need and we enjoy it. Like as an introvert, I'm much more comfortable in a group of 12 than I am a conference hall of 500. That's just the reality of it. It's not a judgment on that. Um, and that's what we do really well. Zach and I do those, those type of events really well. We are offering events uh, that aren't being offered by anybody else or, or of that type. And I've really grown to love them. And I told Zach, uh, the Authors on a Train California that we finished not too long ago, uh, it was a turning point for me because I finished and instead of being completely drained like I have historically been, I was energized. I felt just as good at the end of that event than I did uh, at the beginning of it. And, and so I think it also is a reminder to us that we, we like to label ourselves. I'm just as guilty. Um, but you're not an introvert all the time. Uh, I think you can be an introvert in some situations and an extrovert in others. And so I think I've grown that muscle. I'm much more confident. Um, it's still great to have Zach in, in the car to talk to the Uber driver. Um, but otherwise, I, I do think the, uh, the in-person events have, have really become our thing, the small intimate ones. And I really enjoy them now. That's, that's the honest truth. Mm. So what part, um, for either of you, what part do the live events play in your business? Because obviously Molten Universe Media, it's a business like the Creative Pen Limited. I have multiple streams of income and book sales are only one part of that. Um, so what part do the events play? Well, I'll I'll take that because I think it applies probably more to me than it does to Zach. Uh, just because Zach doesn't have sort of a um, a developed client, uh, business. It's kind of not where he's going, but I'll speak for myself. You know, I've, I've done client work for, for years now. I'm moving into, uh, the mastermind model. I'm relying on my 24 years of teaching experience and, and degrees and certifications to really deliver, uh, a great experience for people who are learning how to become an author and, and how to run a business. So I think for me, the, the podcasts and the events, are great ways for me to introduce myself to people who then eventually want to become part of, you know, want to hire me for other things. And uh, it, what's really great, I'm, Joe, I know you have this experience all the time is people come up to you and after listening to the creative pen for 10 years, they're like, they know you or they, they act like they know you and it, 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 you're so much more accessible to them. And I think I, I see that in a lot of client work. And Zach and I see this too. We we have some of the same people coming to every event. I see some of this, the same people in in all of my different circles, and I take that as a compliment. And that they're um, they're the you know they're Kevin Kelly's true fans. Those, those are the people who we're looking for and who I love to serve. Mm. And I think I, I think for me, just really quick, I'll just add like, I mean, I'm not doing all the client bit work and stuff like Jay does, but I still do love teaching, and I love. Um, those interactions. And I, I just love helping people. I want to give back as much as I can. And I found, and this kind of goes back to something Jay said earlier, like for me, I just get, I feel like I get the most out of it doing it in these in-person events, as opposed to like, you know, doing one-on-one -on -one coaching, like over Skype with people or whatever. Like I, I get way more out of it by doing it a few times a year in these in-person interactions um, than, you know, doing, making it into like a, a whole business and stuff. So I, I do enjoy the teaching part, just a little bit different level than Jay does, I guess. Mm. So. And also you go in and out of it. You know, I, I started out when I first uh, got into the indie space, I was doing my own workshops and then I stopped doing them and then I did speaking. And it's exactly what you're saying. I I've been 
really thinking also as I focused talking a lot about AI and more and more digital and online and just going, do you know what? Can't beat the robots, just can't do it. So what can we do? And the only thing really is to be more human. And so in-person events are one way to be more human. Um, and I think, and I've been thinking about it. Um, you'll be proud of me, Jay. I've, I actually have booked to go and see a local hotel about doing an event because I figure that doing something locally will mean I, you you know, because I look, I get a lot of the stress from the jet lag in America, for example. Um, and then, you know, I get sick like I did in Vegas or, you know, things happen when you are out of your, but it, I could really conserve my energy by being in Bath. So there's a little heads up for, for people. I, I will be doing events in Bath, weekend trips and maybe with a walk and things like that. So people can see my area of the world. Of course, I'm coming to your area of the world, Zach. <laughs> <laughs> to, to Nashville. I can't um, wait. Yeah, for the Career Author Summit. Now that's a, a bit of a bigger um, event, obviously. But Zach, I, I did want to ask you, um, because when we were together in New Orleans and I'd had a few glasses of wine <laughs> and you asked me, about, well, I don't even know. I don't even know if you asked me, but I gave you my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, you surrendered it off without being asked. Yeah, I, I didn't ask you. I was like, why don't you just leave your job and yeah. just do this? And um, you both did leave your job shortly afterwards. Um, so uh, we've heard a bit from Jay there, but Zach, I just want to hear from you. So what have your experiences been of these first few years out uh, out of the day job? Any lessons learned or anything surprising? It's just, it's been amazing. I mean, uh, I, I, I won't I, I won't quote what exactly you said to me <laughs> on your show, but uh, yeah, I, I but I remember you specifically looked at me and you're like, "You're living in fear. You just need to go home and quit your job." And I was like, "Okay." But when, and then when I got home, my wife was like, "It's about time." Like I can't believe it. Fine, so yeah, I did quit as soon as I got home. But uh, it, it's it's been amazing, and um, I, I think for me, um, just the the freedom this life, and I know you both will agree, um, the freedom that living this life has given me, um, is just amazing. Not being strapped to, especially having a young child. So I have a five-year-old and, you know, being able to, I don't miss any of her school events. Like I've talked about this on our podcast about, um, you know, how she'll have like a morning event on a Friday and I'm one of the only dads who shows up and stuff. And, it's just, it's just amazing. And I think for me, that's been the most fulfilling part. And, uh, I, I think the biggest lesson I've learned is that I just don't want to go back <laughs> to, to that. And, uh, you know, it's been, there's been a lot of up and ups and downs. I mean, uh, you know, we talked about it with, with last year and stuff and iterating and learning, you know, um, you know, how to, how to run this business, you know, uh, and, and, and work for yourself and everything. And it, it's definitely got its ups and downs as both, you know, um, but I, I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. That's for sure. Mm. Well, for, if anyone's thinking about it though, any like specific things that you went, yeah, okay. Like for me in that first year, I just didn't know what to do with myself. So I ended up commuting to a library because I couldn't deal yeah. with just being at home all the time. Yeah, I I do that. I do that a lot too. It's really hard for me. I have to have days where I I work really good from home some days and some days I definitely have to get out. So I'm 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 totally in the same boat there. Um I think it's one of those things too where uh, a lot of people make the assumption that just cuz they have all this time they're going to get a lot more done and that's not necessarily the case and there's a lot of times where 
those constraints of having a day job you have to get to will keep you from procrastinating. <laughs> you know that they, they they you have to make a little more of your time, and that was a little bit of a weird adjustment. Um, and, uh, but, you know, definitely, definitely come around on that, but that was definitely kind of a a little surprise and not something I totally expected. So, Mm, yeah. And Jay, what about you? What, what have you, uh, learned? I mean, I know people, you have shared a lot openly on your various (laughs) podcasts, but for anyone who might not be listening to those, what, what are the things that you've really discovered in the last couple of years? I think for me, the biggest thing I've discovered is that it's never going to play out the way you think it is. For, for better and worse. Uh, I think you can have a vision for what you think your life is going to look like. And yet what, what happens is, is different than that. And that's okay. Uh, like, you know, you mentioned our discussion about our 2019 in, in review and how, you know, how we've sort of uh, changed. And Zach and I are not the same guys we were in the spring of 2017 when we left our day jobs. And I'm, st- I'm really starting to step into my, my passion and my gift of, of teaching and being an educator in a different realm, which means that some of the fiction has to, has to, you know, take a secondary position. So uh, I think what in 2017, I thought, well, I'm going to be Lindsay Broker. I'm just going to crank out like 18 books a month and which is what she does. (laughs) And and I'll be a six figure author in like three months. And, uh, and that's just not my path. And, and even though I had that vision, I can't hold on to that. I, I have to be, more realistic and I'm a stubborn guy and I dig my heels in and I think I held on to this vision of what I thought my life was going to be for far longer than I, than I should have. And that's not wrong. That was just the process I had to go through. So I think I would tell people, you know, have a vision, um, try to figure out what you want, but then also be kind to yourself. And as things change and morph, don't be afraid to kind of go with it and, and change direction a little bit. It's okay. Yeah. And, and I think that's the reality. I'm the same, obviously, you know, I'm not a, um, fast writer. Uh, and I also like, I love producing content in other ways, as do you, Mr. Yes. How many podcasts do I have? <laughs> I mean, seriously, dude. Um, but also, it, yeah, you don't, I, I said to someone the other day, I can never remember who I say things to you, but I was like, don't be romantic about where your money comes from. If right. you're like the, my number one goal, like it was great that, you know, Zach was like, didn't, haven't gone back back. This is the number one goal. The number one goal is to be in charge of your time and to have the freedom to do the things you want to do. And at the end of the day, I also discovered the freedom to do the things I want to do is like go to Spain at the weekend, which is what we're doing, um, or to go walk on the canal on a Tuesday, which I did earlier, Um, uh, you know, or Monday, whatever day it is. (laughs) But you know, that's what the freedom is. It's not actually about necessarily how many books you're writing. Would that be right? I would agree with that. And I would also say that you could be really sort of modern stoic about it and take it out to like the worst case scenario, which is I would go back and get a day job, which isn't the end of the world. Like I'm not going to end up under a bridge in a shopping cart. At least I don't think I am. So <laughs> so like even even the worst case scenario means I would just go get a job again. And and I feel so differently about that now than I did when I was in a job. Like I, I, I don't have that same fear. I think because I've been flying without a safety net for a few years now, I don't, I don't have any, like if that's what it, what it would take, then that's what I would do. I think I'm literally unemployable. So... <laughs> <laughs> I, I really actually do. We, we've been having this discussion recently and I'm like, yeah, it's not going to happen. 
<laughs> but I think what's good about the nonfiction, you know, a lot of people ask, um, you know, is it a good idea to write nonfiction as well as fiction? And I say yes, because one of the good things you can do is all these other streams of income, which, you know, you can do teaching um, with fiction as you guys are, but having these events is uh, a much bigger um, a way forward, I, I guess, that you can do. And you can do online courses, you can do coaching, you can do editing, all these types of things. So I, I think having that stronger base, like if you were only writing your post-apocalyptic one series, that would be a very unstable base for you both to leave a job on, right? Yeah, it sure would. And, uh, you know, Joni, you've been a mentor of mine since before we even met. Like I was listening to your podcast a long, long time ago and I was looking at my spreadsheet. I'm getting my my documents ready for my tax guy. And I think in 2019, I had something like 23 or 24 individual revenue streams. And some cool. of those are like, some <laughs> of those are $2, some are, you know, $2,000, but um, y- you're so right. Like I-, I think a lot of times we talk about um, d- diversity of a portfolio strictly based on our intellectual property, such as books. So we talk a lot about wide versus KU, but I think we have to take a step back and look at diversity across all revenue streams. And I think is the, the more stability, the more revenue streams you have, the more stability you have. And, and that's what you've been preaching for years. Yes, still preaching it and, yep. and still still here, still going so, and still not back at the day job. <laughs> so, um, Zach, I, do, I didn't prep you for this question, but because you mentioned your wife, um, you went back and said to your wife, I'm leaving my job. And, you know, um, Jay and I are older than you and, you know, in different Slightly. places. Yeah. And you have a little kid, you know, how like for people, many people, their biggest issue is talking to their loved one about this type of thing um, when they're not a writer. And let's face it, most of our partners are not writers. So any tips for people in broaching this type of topic, especially in America, you know, with health insurance and stuff? Yeah, that and it's yeah, that was actually the biggest deterrent for us because um, my wife is a massage therapist and is she's an independent contractor. So she doesn't get health insurance through her job. So um, that was like the biggest deterrent for us, for me, because I had our health insurance and uh it is not fun getting health insurance in the U S if, uh, if you are both self-employed. So, um, but, uh, you know, I, I'm in the fortunate position where, um, my wife is awesome. Like she, from the beginning, I mean, she was letting me, you know, uh, sneak off to the office and, and, and in my office and write books when our baby was newborn. And before I even was really making any money off of it. Um, and, and she's, she was always very encouraging, um, and, and, and like I said, when I told her I was ready to go, she's like, it's totally time. I, I think the biggest thing is I think you just have to communicate. I mean, just, I, I think that that's the biggest thing you need to really just, you know, have an open dialogue, let you, let your partner understand, you know, how important this is. And, uh, at the same time, like, you know, make sure that you're fulfilling their needs as well. And that, you know, my, my wife has her own creative endeavors and stuff like that. You know, she, she has a local group she goes and sings with and stuff. And it's not something she makes money off of, but it's something she's very passionate about. And it's something that I totally help her make time for. And cause I, I know it's important to her, you know? And, um, so it's, uh, it's, it's just, it's all about communication, you know? Mm. So, and, and, and maybe getting a little lucky like I did and having a person <laughs> like I have. <laughs> oh, I think we're all lucky. Jay, any comment on that? His wife doesn't even know he writes. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's yeah. That's the running gag there is uh, my wife doesn't know what I'm doing. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I think, you know, 
it, my my situation was completely different. I I did uh, I did something I don't ever advise people. I took a huge risk. I did not have savings like you did, Joe. I just uh, I just jumped. Uh, I had about a three month severance package, and that was all I had. Um, but I think the key is just communication. I think if you are in constant communication with your spouse or significant other, then uh, then whatever happens happens. But uh, I think you get into trouble when you're trying to hide things or um, or distort things in a certain way. That's that's where you run into problems. Yeah, and also over promising. Like, yeah, I'm just yeah. going to make a million dollars next month from my books. <laughs> But I think also like swings and roundabouts, like you, you know, the years I can tell you from experience, like the first five years is tough. You know, it really is tough. It took me five years to get back to the money I was earning before I resigned. So, you know, if you hit it before then, good on you. Um, But, you know, I said to my husband, well, uh, once I'm I'm back up, you know, then it's your turn to do something you want to do. So that kind of swings and roundabouts can really work as well, if anyone listening. Um, okay, I want to switch gears a little bit um, because, and Zach alluded to it earlier, Jay, you have been indie, but in 2019, you went to Thriller Fest, pitched some agents and then started the another show, the Writers <laughs> Inc. podcast with a traditionally published author. Well, I guess he's a hybrid, J.D. Barker. Yeah. But you've also, I've seen, I mean, you are doing a mix of trad pub and indie, but the the vibe is a lot more trad pub in your world right now. So I'm really interested. Um, where Where's your head at with this right now? How does this fit into everything? I, I'm so glad you asked that uh, because on the surface, it doesn't appear to fit. <laughs> so I'd, lo- I'd love the, I'd love the um, opportunity to kind of explain that for a minute. I, I, and I told you this privately before I, I sort of was heading in that direction is I said, I want to see if I can do it. Like this is an ego play for me. I want to see if I can get past the traditional gatekeepers. I want to see if I'm good enough. And, uh, and I, and I recognize, you know, all of the limitations of traditional publishing. I understand what I'm sacrificing. I'm not going into this blindly, but I think where it fits in is, um, you know, I had the great experience in at, at Thriller Fest where I had to go, I, I did Pitch Fest and I learned very quickly how to distill the essence of my book into about a 15 second summary. And any author who's tried to write their product description knows how challenging that is. So that and, and alone was a great experience for me. And I happened to meet J.D. Barker. We really hit it off. I pitched him on a podcast idea. For some crazy reason, he said yes. And, uh, and we've, we've developed a wonderful relationship so far. And he's sort of been uh, shepherding me through this process. He's got, he, he has sold um, millions of dollars worth of books. He's incredibly successful on both the traditional and the hybrid side. And, and he's helping me along. And one of the things I realized is that he's, he's teaching me as we're going through this. And we're doing some of it on the podcast. Every so often, we're talking about the project on the podcast. And I'm in, then in turn teaching my audience what I'm learning from him. So I think it's this wonderful, you know, circle of life type thing where um, you can always turn around and, and, and put a hand out to, to the person who's slightly behind you on the path and pull them up. And that's what JD is doing for me. And that's what I'm, I'm doing. So there's some personal selfish satisfaction for me in, in uh, chasing this particular path. And at the same time, I think I can use it as a learning experience and help other people the way JD is helping me. Mm. I mean, I've got to say, I, you know, I've been to Thriller Fest like four times now. I love it. And whenever I go, I feel so conflicted and I feel like, yeah, I want to be like them. (laughs) 
like, you know, Steve Ferry and Lee Child and, you know, all up there. And um, it, it is, it's a very interesting. And as you say, it's ego. I mean, it really is vanity. At this point, it's vanity is what traditional publishing is. You know, it's not, indie is not vanity anymore. It's damn hard work, really. Yeah. But I mean, I, I totally get um, why you would want that. And what I would say is what we've been talking about are these, you know, the career author is also about multiple streams of income. And one of those uh, can be traditional publishing. And in fact, the most successful authors now are hybrid. So this is definitely something I want. It's just that I have real struggles with patience. <laughs> and also writing a book with more than 60 grand, 60,000 words, yeah. you know. <laughs> So what about you, Zach? Is this, uh, you know, anything you're flirting with in this area or are you just still in the hardcore indie space? Oh, it's definitely in the back of my mind. I mean, it's, uh, uh, you know, uh, I think it's interesting to me because I think a lot of a lot of indies, uh, the, like being traditionally published can completely be a by book decision. It doesn't have to be a mm. career decision. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, you're going to write more books. So I, I think that so many indies, or like I once like I don't want to be traditionally published because I I'd rather it's like well you can do it for like one or two books like or you can as Jay would say you can pursue it you can't choose it <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah it's definitely something I mean I'm I'm paying attention I'm watching what Jay's going through you know he and I are having private conversations I'm I'm asking him questions and because I'm definitely curious because um, it's definitely something that I want to pursue it's definitely on my radar um, it's not something I'm necessarily looking at right now um, but it's definitely something that I want to pursue for a lot of the same reasons. I want to see if I can get through, mm. you know, and, and, and I want to see if I can do it. And, and I also feel like it's, it's a way you can expand your audience. I mean, there's a lot of people that yeah. still walk into bookstores and you're, that you are not going to reach if you're not in the bookstore, you know? And, uh, and so, yeah, it's definitely something I'm looking at and interested in maybe a little bit further in the future. Maybe I'll go to Thriller Fest, uh, like 2022 or something. Yeah. Um, I, was, <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm definitely coming back. I do. I love it. And for those people listening, whatever the big genre convention is in your, um, niche, it, you know, it's worth going to them and you learn tons anyway. Right. And you have great networking, but, um, it's funny because I also think in the expanding future of me- lots more content is the that the curation aspect of traditional publishing is going to pay more more of a um, uh, a role. And in fact, I have been, because since Amazon started doing ads, such a big ad play, I have shopped less on my device uh, and on the Amazon store and more by going into physical bookstores and having a look and then ordering things on my device. Mm-hmm. And that behaviour has changed because I don't want to wade through a lot of the stuff that is coming up that's being served to me. So Amazon themselves is driving my change in behavior kind of back to the gatekeepers, which has been quite a shock to me. <laughs> well, and I think the other thing too, and I, I think Joanna, you're, you're in this camp as well. Zach and I were never flag bearers of the indie movement. We, we were never, we were never, you know, throwing mud at traditionally published authors mm. or, I mean, we have our criticisms of the big five and, and the way the traditional industry works, but we also have criticisms at, at the indie platform as well. So I, I think we've always been more opportunists and said, why would we rule out another possible publication channel or another revenue stream just because to say, no, we're indie. Like that's that's just not how we've been. We've been more opportunistic. And so I think uh, whether all three of us are, are uh, you know, flirting with traditional publishing path or not, um, that's not 
you know, that's not contrary to what we've been saying. We haven't been the, you know, the indie author podcast. Uh, I don't know if there is such one. I'm not making fun of it. I'm saying that's not, you know, that's not the name we've had. You know, we haven't been uh, those guys in, in this space. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. And I think like we were talking about, what what do you really want? For me, that freedom, like you say, per book, you can say, okay, I'll sign this contract with the understanding that I know exactly what I'm signing because I'm educated around contracts, but I know why I'm signing it. And that's fine because that's one book. And for me, that independence is yeah, is not tied up in one book. Um, and of course, we're all interested in the financial independence movement, which to me just means bring bring on more multiple streams, you know, yes, <laughs> it doesn't absolutely. really matter. Uh, but Zach, I do want to ask you um, about podcasting because uh, you and Jay do podcast weekly at The Career Author. And you cover lots of really interesting topics um, and also important topics like I saw your accounting came up this week. I was like, yay, good on you guys <laughs> for covering <laughs> accounting. Um, but Zach, what do you get out of podcasting and do you think it's worthwhile for authors? I don't know, Jay, is it worthwhile for authors? You're on enough of them. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I'm asking you because clearly yeah, Jay thinks it's worthwhile. <laughs> no, I mean, uh, I, yeah, I, I, like I said earlier, I mean, I just really, I really enjoy helping people and I enjoy giving back. I mean, I, and, and for me, um, podcasting is the reason that I'm doing this because that was the way I learned so much to begin. I wasn't, I'm a very uh, auditory listener or learner. So, um, you know, early on, um, I, I mentioned the horror, you know, the horror hours podcast, of course, the creative pen, like these were all the ways I learned in the, in the way I got here. And so, um, for me, I, I just, I really enjoy giving back, um, and, and, and helping people in any way we can. We've built a really great community over at the career author. You know, we've got, uh, just so many awesome people that listen and, and talk in our comments every week and, you know, our patrons and all this great stuff. Um, and, and, you know, I think whether or not it's worthwhile for authors, I think that kind of comes back to what your why is, you know, I mean, I think that there is a, a, a lot of people look at podcasting and it's, it's got this really cool lore to it. It's like, I can have a podcast and, um, but it's, it's hard work. <laughs> I mean, I mean, you guys know, I mean, Joanna, you've done how many of these? I mean, like 500 or something, yeah. I mean, a lot of them, you know? Um, and I know Jay's put in tens and thousands of hours into podcasting. And, um, so, you know, for us, I mean, we have, uh, it's, it's, obviously we love it, but it's also a part of our business. I mean, it, it's an avenue to, um, you know, help us do these events and get the word out there for it. And it helps Jay with a lot of the stuff he's doing. And, um, so it's definitely a part of our business and it's an income stream, you know, and it leads to other things that we're doing. So I think it really, if you're, if you're an author just trying to sell fiction and you want to do a podcast talking to writers, like, I don't know if that's the best path necessarily, you know, mm -hmm. yes, writers read, but it doesn't necessarily mean they're going to want to read what you write, <laughs> you know? So I think, I think it really just comes back to what your why is and like why you'd want to get into podcasting more than just because it, it looks cool that you're a podcaster. Oh yeah, that that is completely pointless because it doesn't look cool, yeah. really. Because I mean, you, <laughs> you're not really on camera. <laughs> but Jay, yeah. any final? Because um, you know, I thought I was the podcaster extraordinaire, but now I think you wear you wear the crown for Mister no. Podcast. <laughs> um, just you know, uh, any because you've let a few shows go by the wayside um, over the years, and you've started new ones, um, whereas I have just doggedly continued. <laughs> 
for years and yes. years and years. So what what are the things that have I you know what the, the question would be what has made you give something up and what has made you start something in terms of podcasting? Because you know giving something up is something I haven't done yet on a podcast and I've thought about it a lot and haven't. Well, I think you have a better track record than me. That's why you haven't had to give it up. I think two of my biggest uh, quote unquote failures in podcasting were uh, me trying to podcast around my fiction writing and and it just didn't work. And I'm not saying it won't work for other people, but but Zach mentioned it as well. You know, I had... I had two, uh, the Horror Writers podcast, we were really targeting horror readers and I had one called Dark Arts Theater and and the behaviors of listening to a podcast versus reading post-apocalyptic fiction, those are not necessarily the same people. And it, I didn't discover that until, you know, till much later. I think for me now, if you take a look at the podcasts I'm doing now, like the Career Author and the Writer's Well and, and Writer's Inc. and even the Author Life, like my, my little blog one, it, what it's really about for me is an extension of that educational process. The, me embracing my role as an educator and, uh, and utilizing the skill set that I've spent uh, decades uh, refining and podcasting though, for writers is just a natural extension of that. And I think it's a great way for people to get to know me, know what I value and know if I'm a good fit for them without making any type of commitment. So uh, for me, it's, it's at the core, podcasting is really at the core of my of my business model because I do have services and education. But as Zach said, if I were simply writing fiction, I don't necessarily know if starting a podcast for writers would be uh, something that would get you a great ROI. Mm. Although I, I, cause I've got this book coming out, you know, and I, I emailed a few people and you're in it, Jay. Uh, and mm. I emailed Lindsay and of course, Lindsay Broker, who we mentioned, our wonderful friend, wonderful fantasy author who, who makes a very good living from writing fiction now also has another podcast called the yes. six, six figure author podcast. And she said, you know, she does it for networking and, and basically because yeah. she's an introvert by podcasting, she has broken the ice at conferences because people know her from the podcast. So that's, that is a win for her, uh, that is completely different, um, you know, for, for other people. She certainly doesn't need to do it for, for the fiction money as such. So, Oh yeah. Yes. Uh, I, I was just going to add, um, I feel so fortunate in, uh, in partnering with JD because for the Writers Inc., he has so many industry connections. And I've been able to talk to people who I would never have gotten access to um, and and learn from them. And and I, I've heard you say this too, Joanna, that like, you know, interviewing people on your podcast, you get to ask them what you want to know. Uh, so I think as long as, as you can do that and provide value to the listener as well, then yes, in, in that case, uh, a, a podcast for fiction writers would, would be appropriate. Mm. Okay, so... Um what is happening? I mean, it's 2020, January 2020, as we record this, it'll go out a bit later. But um, Zach, uh, what are you looking forward to uh, in the 2020s? What is the decade ahead looking like and anything <laughs> exciting in terms of the career author? Yeah, I mean, honestly, uh, I, I think that I just, I, I really look forward to a lot of the stuff we have planned with these events. We've got some really cool stuff that you know, we're planning, we're already looking at 2021, you know, cause we're going to announce the, all those events at, at the career author summit. 
um, here coming up in May, which you will be at, of course. And uh, we, we've got some, we were even thinking ahead to 2022 and stuff already. So I think for me, just keeping the momentum on that stuff. And then, you know, we've got some, and I'll let Jay kind of talk about this in a minute. Um, but, you know, we have a lot of really cool stuff planned around three-story method. And, you know, with that book coming out and stuff, I'm, I'm really, really excited to kind of see where things go with that as well. And, uh, and, and yeah, and watching Jay get a traditional publishing deal. That's going to be awesome too. <laughs> oh, wait, and, you, and you're going to have a teenager. <laughs> yeah. And so I'm to, just going to oh, laugh gosh. at you. <laughs> oh gosh. Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. It's a big so, decade, dude. <laughs> it's going to be crazy. Yeah. God, I didn't even think about that. <laughs> my daughter will almost be driving by the end of this. Day. Oh my gosh. And Jay, Jay yeah. I guess your kids will have left home. So it'll be a good decade. Yeah. His kids will be my age by the end of the, I am now by the end of the decade. <laughs> Uh, um, no, I, I think um, I'm really excited about, uh, as Zach said, the events. Uh, as we record this, I was I was all smiles this morning, Joanna, as I was listening to you talk about doing more speaking and more events because of of AI, especially around fiction and being able to feed. You know, if if a big publisher has a thousand books in a genre and being able to feed those into an algorithm and create a novel, you know, what does that mean for the future of fiction writing? Um, and so, so related to that, I, I love this idea of double doubling down on what is uniquely me or what is uniquely us. And even as Zach and I talked about three story method, uh, I, I hope it's okay, Zach, I'm going to mention uh, just a, a little teaser here, but we're not launching an online course. We're not launching all these parallel um, asynchronous methods of delivering that content. We're saying like, what if it's just the book and then a workshop with us? And like, for most people, the book will be enough. And for those who, who it isn't, they'll, they'll get to come along with us and 11 other people and get the experience of a lifetime. And, and we're not going to become millionaires doing that. That doesn't scale. Um, but what it allows us to do is to help people in a real meaningful way. And that's, that's what really gets me up in the morning. And uh, so I'm really excited about the 2020s for me being uh, an opportunity to leverage emerging technologies in a way that makes sense, but also coming back to what it means to be human and, and developing these real connections with real people. Mm, I, I'm almost, uh, I'll just say, it, I think it might be the end of scale. Uh, ah, like, mm, like interesting. It, maybe we're, we're hitting that long tail, like the really long tail now, um, because I you know, have a decade of a scalable business and now I'm thinking... Yeah, scale is scale might might be gone. Um, so maybe Interesting. the hyper local, hyper experience, hyper personal, uh, all of that might just be the way that that people want. Like you say, people want connection. So I love your events, um, and it's really helped me to think about what I want to do as well. Um, and well, just give people, cause we've mentioned authors on a train, but perhaps people don't know, uh, about the events you do. So, um, Jay, just tell us what are the events you've got this year and maybe next anything that's open for booking or things that just give people a flavor of it. Sure. Sure. We're in a weird place because all of our events for 2020 are sold out and we haven't announced our 2021 events yet, but we, so far we've been offering two, two varieties. We've done authors on a train. Um, and for, for two years, we did Chicago to New Orleans. And we, uh, the authors on a train experience is about co-writing, uh, writing a short story together with a co-writer and then publishing in an anthology. And this past year, we just did authors on a train, California, where we went from LA to the Bay area. So that's sort of one that's, those trips are a little bit longer. 
And then we've been doing these world building weekends that are commercial genre specific. So we started with Night of the Writing Dead in Pittsburgh to celebrate the 50th anniversary of Romero's film. Uh, we've done Sci-Fi Seattle. Uh, we, we've done Rockapock in Cleveland. We're doing Vampires of New Orleans oh, this year. I, I, uh, I saw that and I was like, oh, yes. I really like to go to that. <laughs> yes. And those are, those are quite different. They are full immersive weekend retreats where we go to the, a destination location, we build a world together uh, that's genre specific, and then everyone writes a short story for an anthology. Um, and, and those are also deeply satisfying in, in a different kind of way. So those are the two varieties that we've offered. And what's on our horizon that we're playing with is sort of a three-story method style workshop. And, and other than labeling it, that's as far as we've gotten with that. Hmm. That might emerge in, in you know, later this year, 2021. But it's, it's what we're looking to do is provide really unique, almost one-off experiences. I was going to um, say the, the world building weekends, we only do those once. You do them so there's, once. That's there's it. not going to be another rock apoc. There's not going to be another vampires in new Orleans. Oh, not to say we no. won't go back to those cities, <laughs> but they're, but they're one-time things like we, cause we have a lot of different ones we want to do. <laughs> Joe, if you want to come to new Orleans with us again, you have got a seat. Let's oh, just say that. No, You're in. Well, thank you. Well, cause of course, uh, Mary Shelley wrote Frankenstein in Bath. So I have a good, I know ah. everyone's like, oh, Bath, that's Jane Austen. I'm like, uh-uh, this is Mary Shelley right here. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I, I, I really do, for people listening, I think this is both a um, a shift in, in the way that business models are going. And it's not just our business model. I've been seeing a lot of stuff in the vibes, um, The Future is Faster Than You Think by Peter Diamandis. He actually has a whole section on the experience economy. This is not just us deciding we're going to do this. This is uh, something that's coming. Um, and I think VR, AR will be things we can use to enhance um, stuff in the future. But very exciting times. And I'm, you know, as ever, we've all been friends for years now, and I hope to keep having you all on the show. So, um, Zach, tell us where to find you and your books online. Well, yeah, I mean, I guess really the easiest place is just you can go to go to moltenuniversemedia.com. For, that's for fiction. Um, uh, you know, and, and both our fiction books are on there. And but I guess more importantly for this audience, though, uh, Jay, you want to talk really quick just about the career author website and yeah, all the stuff going on over there? Yeah, the careerauthor.com is where our, our podcast is. And that's where you can look at any of our events, get on the wait list, uh, find out any information about that. And then I have a separate website for sort of author services and editing and coaching. And that's at theauthorlife.com. And at theauthorlife.com, there's a free how to self-publish guide for anyone who's, who's interested. Fantastic. Well, thanks so much for your time. That was great. Thanks, Joe. Always thanks. a pleasure being on the show. So I hope you found the discussion with Jay and Zach useful and definitely go check out their new book, The Three Story Method. In the next show, I'm talking to Danielle Trasoni, whose book Angelology I fell in love with a decade ago. So I was thrilled to be able to talk to her about the boundaries between horror and literary fiction and her mixed experiences with the publishing industry and much more. So that is coming up. Happy writing and I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening today. I hope you found it helpful. You might also like the backlist episodes and show notes available at thecreativepen.com forward slash podcast. You can also get your free author blueprint at thecreativepen.com forward slash blueprint. If you'd like to connect, 
you can tweet me at The Creative Pen or find me on Facebook at The Creative Pen. See you next time.